the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So you see, this is a very, very relevant subject for the church to hear, and obviously many have not obeyed this. Either they are ignorant of it, which is no excuse because it's in the Bible, or else they've heard it, but they choose to ignore it because this truth is so often violated. Is it okay to attend a church that does not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? How about the virgin birth? Can I go to a church that adds works to salvation as long as they believe Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Well, not if we're going to obey one of the most well-known verses in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Misunderstanding and disobedience of this passage is one of the biggest reasons that the church has been marginalized and has become so weak. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will be helping us wrap our heads around this passage as he concludes his first message in this series on spiritual separation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our first two sessions, Pastor Steve showed us that Paul was not forbidding us to associate with unbelievers or even to work with and for them. We need to spend time with unbelievers if we hope to win them to Jesus. But spiritual alliances with unbelievers is exactly the kind of thing that provoked God to send Israel into captivity. So this is really big stuff. Here's Pastor Steve now to explain the dangers of spiritual union with the unsaved. One of my roommates at Bible College is a great, great guy. And uh, he really had come to Christ, but he had uh, been saved while he was attending, in fact, a member of a uh, liberal church in the Northeast. I think it was the Philadelphia area. And you know what? He never removed his name from membership. That was his church. And when I asked him why, he said, because I want to be a light there. I want to, I want to lead them to Christ. Well, that's a, a nice, a nice motive, a nice thought, but that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, if you lead anyone to Christ, it's only going to be by God's grace, but you're, you're really going against scripture. You shouldn't be a part of a church like that. I don't know if he ever removed his, uh, his name from there, but there are many like that. There are many who, who attends are part of churches that have rejected the gospel. They reject the gospel of salvation through the death of Christ alone, and you ought to come out of a church like that. You shouldn't be a part of that. Now let's take it a little bit deeper, and we're going to touch some nerves here. It also means that no born-again Christian should remain in the Roman Catholic Church because that is, by their own words, a false religious system. Now, they don't call themselves a false religious system, but by their counsels, and by what they have taught over the years, they have definitely spoken out against the gospel of grace. The Council of Trent, which was met in, in uh, response to the Reformation, very clearly said anyone who claims that salvation is through the finished work of Christ alone, it's only by faith alone, is anathema. So now, they have never changed that. 
That is what they believe. They teach a gospel of faith plus works, which is always works. Always works. Now, do they have some truth in it? Yes, but but the issue is they reject the gospel message. Therefore, there, there are some believers in the Roman Catholic Church. They are there in spite of the message that they're hearing. They ought to come out. They ought to come out of that. We have, we have many in our own church here at Lakeside who have seen that and have come out of that. It is a false religious system, and Paul commands us to separate ourselves from worshiping with unbelievers in a pagan system, and basically that is a pagan system. Let's take it a step further. It also means that you should not participate in any evangelistic crusade that invites liberals to participate in it. Now, several years ago, and, and this is uh, this would be an appropriate time to clarify this. Uh, we as a church, our elders decided that when Billy Graham came to Tampa for a crusade, we would and could not participate in, as a church body, officially participate in that crusade. Is it because he doesn't preach the gospel? No, I think he does preach the gospel. Is it because people don't get saved there? No, people, I think, really do get saved there. I've, I have never heard Billy Graham in a, a crusade setting uh, preach anything but the gospel. I have heard things in, in private settings on television, which he has not, but I have heard uh, only in a crusade setting the gospel. But why couldn't we participate? And by the way, when we said we couldn't participate, uh, we never meant by that that individuals couldn't attend there. Uh, you sir, We're not a cult. We don't dictate to people what they do or don't do, unless scripture clearly forbids things. But as far as identifying, participating, we could not. And I'll tell you why. It is common knowledge. This is not even a guess. This is common knowledge that they readily admit that the crusade invites, the Billy Graham Association invites liberal theologians as well as non-Christian leaders to sit on the platform with Mr. Graham and participate in the crusade. And non, quite frankly, non-Christian Christ-rejecting churches are a part of it too. They don't just attend. They're a part of the inviting committee and, and planning and all of that. For us then to, to have participated as a church would be really to, to violate the scripture and to form a religious alliance with these religious unbelievers. That's why we couldn't do that. That's why we couldn't do that. And I realized, and I had, I had people who, uh, they wrote me and they came to see me. And I remember one who, who with tears in her eyes, I said, how could we not do this? People are saved. But see, the end doesn't justify the means. The end does not justify the means. The truth is the truth, and we can alter that. I think another valid application of this principle of not being yoked together with unbelievers would be to make sure that you don't attend a Christian college or a seminary where liberals are included on the faculty while, um, while believing professors are included there too. They claim to be Christian. In fact, I, I know of an entire seminary system where they have a track for just about anybody under the label of Christendom. You want a Catholic track? You got it. You want an Episcopalian track? You got it. Uh, oh, you're a little more evangelical? We've got something for you. It's sort of a smorgasbord of stuff. That violates scripture. That violates scripture. And in addition to all of these types of official religious alliances, Paul's prohibition to join together in a common spiritual enterprise would certainly involve marriage. Now, he's not talking about if you are already married and then you get saved, but if you are a Christian, you are not to marry and not even to consider marrying a non-Christian. You're not to do that at all. 
You say, but I, I thought it's religious alliance here. Now, how are you jumping to marriage? Listen, the most spiritual of all unions is marriage. You can't divorce marriage from this situation. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul says that marriage is a divine picture of Christ's union with his church. So a Christian is clearly forbidden to marry a non-Christian. And by the way, if you need it in clear language, in 1 Corinthians 7.39, he states it very clearly. But you can marry, but only in the Lord. So you see, this is a very, very relevant subject for the church to hear. And obviously, many have not obeyed this. Either they are ignorant of it, which is no excuse because it's in the Bible, or else they've heard it, but they choose to ignore it because this truth is so often violated. If you dare to touch anything like the Roman Catholic Church or the Billy Graham crusade, I'm telling you, it's like you touch icons, it's like you can't do that. But we must do it. This is what Scripture says. And the results have been, because so many have joined themselves to this, the results have been an anemic church. An anemic church that has lost its first love for Christ because in their quest to be, and this is what it's all about, to be culturally relevant, they have wed themselves to the world. And in failing to completely turn their backs on false religious thinking and alliances, they've allowed themselves to compromise God's word and become worldly in their perspectives. This is why the the church in the United States is a weak church. It is a wealthy church, but it is a weak church. It is like the church at Laodicea. They think they're wealthy, they think they are strong, but, but Jesus said, you don't know you're poor, and you're miserable, and you're wretched, and you're naked. You think you have everything, that's your problem. It's all material, no spiritual impact. In fact, let's look at First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. John writes in verse 15, and maybe you've, you've read this, but haven't taken it far enough in it's setting, and by the way, I would encourage you to come back tonight as Jack speaks from this wonderful book of First John. But in chapter 2, verse 15, John writes, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's he talking about? Worldliness is not just external stuff that you do. Worldliness is an attitude. Worldliness is a perspective, uh, a philosophy of life. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now watch this. That's usually where we stop. But he says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. Hey, the one world ruler, Antichrist, is coming. But in the meantime, many Antichrists, those who reject Christ and his gospel, they're here. They've appeared. From this, we know that it's the last hour. They went out, he says, from us, which means they were in the church. They were involved in the church. They taught in the church. They exposed believers to error, but then they left. They went out from us because they were not really of us. They they weren't really Christians. They were pseudo-Christians. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, they departed from the faith so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. They did not persevere. They came in, they taught error, and they left. But in their, in the wake of leaving, they've, they've left you handicapped, spiritually handicapped. You see, when you join together with unbelievers in a common spiritual cause, when you, for example, another application would be to have a, a debate in the church, to have a believer and an unbeliever. Why would you do that? Why would you give an unbeliever the platform to, to teach God's people? And that's what happens. A few weeks ago, I was at a, um, an SOS International uh, students' luncheon, 
And um, Mike introduced me to a fellow, um, a Muslim there, and he said, you know what, I'd like to come to your church. Now, he didn't mean he'd like to sit and listen. He said, I'd, I'd like to share something. I found out from Mike that he is a Muslim evangelist. Now, why would you ever expose God's people to that? But listen, that's what happens. I heard recently of a, of a church doing that. Come and share your beliefs. And it's all in the flavor of this ecumenical flavor where we just have unity based on, on religious tolerance. But what happens is believers are, are weakened. It's detrimental to your spiritual testimony. It weakens your faith. It destroys your appetite for the word of God. And it hinders your love for the things of God, for the truth. But this is precisely what Paul was facing at Corinth because he had the church had failed to make a clean break from participating in Gentile pagan idolatry as well as Jewish legalism. Because of that, they found no room in their hearts for Paul or the truth he preached. And so in trying to win them back, Paul tells them exactly what the problem is. And that's what he's doing here. But watch this. He takes it a step further as you go back to 2 Corinthians 6. Not only does Paul tell them, don't be bound together with unbelievers, but he actually tells them why. Why they should separate themselves spiritually from unbelievers. He gives reasons and, and these reasons form the heart of this, this passage. And I just want to introduce it for a few minutes. But anytime you are involved in some mutual type of worship or teaching ministry or any kind of ministry experience with unbelievers, you're only hurting yourself spiritually. So to give weight to this, to Paul's argument, he gives us several reasons why we should separate from unbelievers when it comes to a common spiritual cause. Number one, and we're just going to touch the surface on this. Number one, it's because believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. They're, they're spiritually incompatible. They, you can't mix them, just like you can't mix an ox and a donkey. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, Paul asks five questions, and each one of these questions presupposes a negative answer. He doesn't even have to say it. It's just so obvious. These are self-evident questions. And the answer to every one of these questions is no. No, there is nothing in common. Now, the first two questions deal with the nature of a believer and an unbeliever. He states, what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? At the moment of your salvation, God placed into you, unbeknownst to you, he placed into you a new nature, a divine nature. Peter calls it a divine nature. It is a, it is a divine righteous nature. You still struggle with sin. The flesh is still present, but you have a new nature. And that new nature is righteous righteousness. And the reason you desire righteousness, you desire that in your life is because of that righteous nature. It has those desires. You want to obey the word of God. You don't obey it perfectly, but that's the, the desire of your heart. You love, you desire, you pursue the things of God. That's where you're at. Paul said in Romans 7.22, I might add in the midst of struggling with his own sin, he said that he joyfully concurred with the law of God in the inner man. Isn't that great? Though he blew it so often, he said, my, my heart, that's where my heart is. Now, that's not the, an unbeliever speaking. Unbelievers don't have that attitude. Non-Christians are not interested in living in conformity to the word of God. They are not. They are opposed to God. They are opposed to his righteous standards. 
In Ephesians 2, he tells us that uh, they are dead in sins and trespasses. They are by children nature, uh, by, by nature rather, they are children of wrath. They want nothing to do with God. They are hostile towards him. And the Bible characterizes all Christian or all non-Christians, I should say, as lawless, which means that they don't keep God's moral or ethical laws. In fact, he makes a contrast in 1 John 3, verses 4 through 7, where he says that, that they are lawless. Those who practice righteousness are of the Lord. Those who practice lawlessness, meaning disobedience, are of Satan. It's as simple as that. And this is why Jesus said to uh, those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, who will say to him on that day, Lord, we did all of these things. We performed all these religious good deeds. The Bible says he will say to them, I never knew you. That is to say, we didn't have a relationship. There was never any intimate bond between us. Depart from me, you who practice what? lawlessness or iniquity. No, your hearts were never changed. You never received a divine nature. Now, in addition to being spiritually incompatible with believers, uh, because believers rather are righteous and unbelievers are lawless by nature, Paul adds to that, what fellowship has light with darkness? Absolutely none. Light and darkness are two complete opposites. They're mutually exclusive. Where you have light, you don't have darkness. Where you have darkness, you don't have light. I mean, that's just obvious. Light in the Bible is a symbolic way of referring to knowledge and holiness, essentially. And darkness in the Bible is a symbolic way of referring to error and sin. And believers are called the children of light because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. On the other hand, Satan's domain is the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of darkness of which all unbelievers are partakers. We have been transferred from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light at salvation, but unbelievers are still there. So listen, Paul's point is this. Believers and unbelievers cannot, cannot be involved in any kind of joint spiritual enterprise because by their very nature, they are completely opposite spiritually. You can do a lot of things with unbelievers, but you cannot form a spiritual union. How can an unbeliever who loves righteousness have any spiritual partnership with someone who loves lawlessness? It just won't work. You can't have any kind of direction, any kind of spiritual fellowship, because the children of light and the children of darkness are completely opposite. So, by way of application, a Christian who marries a non-Christian would find themselves constantly at odds. If they're going to talk of anything or have any kind of, of depth in their relationship, they certainly can't agree on values and motives and desires and ambitions and, and goals in life. It just can't be. It can't be spiritual intimacy, which is the foundation of life. A Christian and unbelieving liberal church or a false religious system would be trying to mix righteousness with lawlessness and light with darkness, and it cannot be. God said, come out from amongst them. Look at, look at verse 16 of this passage. He writes, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I'll dwell in them and walk amongst them. They'll be my God and I'll be their people or they'll be, I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Verse 17, therefore, he says, come out from their midst and be separate. If you have one foot in, in the world of heathenism and one foot in the church of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, get both feet in the church of Jesus Christ. Get out of that place. Turn your back on it. Be like the Thessalonians. If you're involved in some kind of endeavor with the unbeliever that has to do with the spiritual enterprise, get out of there. Let's bow for prayer. I realize that this 
may be new to many of you, and it's because it has not been taught by God's people often. Because it's a message that sounds very intolerant. It's a message that sounds very narrow-minded. And you know what? It is a message of intolerance. We do not tolerate error. We are not open-minded to distortion of the truth. We are to separate ourselves from any form of heathen worship. You've come to Christ, make a clean break from the world of hedonism. Might it be awkward with family members? Yes. Might it be awkward with friends? Yes. You're called to be a disciple of Christ. That's part of the cost. That's part of the cost of being a Christian. God will give you grace to do what's right. Some of you in your zeal to appear tolerant and open-minded have just not denounced false religion. And you may think it's helping your cause, but it's, it's hurting it. It is an unequal bondage, a yoke. It's not helping you. It's detrimental to your spiritual growth. You will never grow spiritually while you're still involved in any form of heathenism. However this, this applies to you, apply it. And when you do, your love for Christ will increase. Your love for the word and his truth will increase. Your love for God's servants will increase. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then understand the Bible says he is the truth. He's not a truth. He's the truth. He's not a way. He is the way. Only by his death on the cross can we enter into eternal life. It's not by going to church. It's not by religion. It's not by sacraments. It's not by any of that stuff. It's Christ and Christ alone. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word and in your love for us, you hold back nothing from your word that is profitable for us. And though these truths may hurt us and though these truths may hit nerves with us, I pray that each one here will be obedient to the word of God. Lord, I pray that we'll care more about pleasing you than about pleasing men. I pray that we'll care more about honoring you than the applause of others. And I pray, Lord, that as a uh, church body, you'll help us to interact with unbelievers, to never take this passage and twist it so that we, we sort of hibernate into some type of a, a Christian community that never is involved with the world. Help us, Lord, to interact, socialize, reach out with the gospel, but understand these issues and to not be involved in any form of liberalism or heathenism or evangelism, or teaching with those who reject the gospel. And draw to yourself, we pray, Father, those who still have not yet come to Christ, for they are our mission field here. Draw them to yourself that they might come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As Jesus prayed for us, I pray the same, that our Heavenly Father would help us to be in the world and effective for Him while He protects us from Satan and his attacks. And if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your King and Savior, I urge you to do that right now. If you have questions about your salvation, I'll have a phone number for you in a moment. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Call the church if you need information about service times or go online to lakesidechapel.com. The phone number is 727-441-1714. And that's also the number to call if you want to talk to someone about salvation or another spiritual need. 
727-441-1714. Call that number also if you'd like to ask for a free audio CD with the message Pastor Steve just finished. Ask for message 639, Spiritual Separation, Part 1. Another way to listen again is to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You'll find all of our previous broadcasts available for free on the Message Archive page. There's also a giving page if you'd like to help us keep these programs on the air. We are thankful for the generous listeners who help fund this ministry, but we do hope that you'll be faithful first to your own church. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, the apostle warned us about false teachers. He said, But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We are to have nothing to do with them. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more from 2 Corinthians 6 and spiritual separation on our next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.